We are live here on the Carl Vibe Show on YouTube. Coming at you hot and live with film producer of Small Town Monsters, Seth Breedlove. Seth Breedlove has been in the game for quite some time. Oh, there I am here live on the show. Welcome to Carl Vibe, everybody. And if you're joining over in the chat or over in the comments, make sure to get your questions ready for Seth. If you're into filmmaking, if you're into cryptozoology, into the paranormal or UFOs, Seth has been involved in this topic all across the country uh, and uh, deep into the past. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Seth into the show. Uh, Seth, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm I'm good. I'm in the middle of uh, <clears throat> editing a werewolf movie, so I'm uh, I'm I'm feeling good. A werewolf movie, <laughs> Seth. You've been doing all sorts of different topics, and it's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, honestly. So you're doing a, a werewolf movie, but most people who get into crypto cryptozoology, the paranormal, UFOs, things like that, they have some kind of like an, an encounter or an experience of their own. Uh, when they're a child or something like that, that sort of gets them hooked. So what, what got you into this whole field of research and topic and filmmaking, Seth, was it the movie making side of it, the horror films, or have you had some kind of an encounter yourself? Yeah, no, I think it was boredom. Um, I was, I was, I was working like really boring jobs um, in medical billing when I got into this subject. So, and, and I don't, I'm not bagging on the topic at all. I love it. Um, but that was what it was. I was, I was working on a, a boring job and I had a lot of time on my hands while I was there. And so I actually got into it um, <clears throat> just by chance and uh, having all that time on my hands to spend a lot of time, like listening to podcasts and reading books and stuff like that. So I digested as much as I could on uh, the paranormal and Bigfoot and stuff like that as I could. And um I have this uh, brain malfunction where I can't have a hobby uh, without trying to make it something I, I do myself uh, either for a living or for fun or whatever. And so I did the same with the paranormal. I was like, uh, I would listen to or read, you know, listen to podcasts, read books, whatever. And over time I kind of developed my own ideas on how some of those things should be done. And then I just started doing them. Um, and one of the things that I started doing early on was to look into like historical Bigfoot accounts and um, rural monster cases. And uh, and having grown up in a small town, I was interested in how those sorts of stories can have an impact on um, rural places and small towns. And I decided uh, a cool book would be a uh, basically like a case study of those sorts of cases uh, and how they impact the areas where they take place. So I put together this book proposal for a book called small town monsters. Hmm. We sent it, we sent it around to uh, a bunch of different publishers. They all rejected it. And uh, less than a year later, we uh, turned one of the cases that was covered in that book into a movie called Minerva monster. And then from there, the, I guess the rest is history. Yeah, so you got started in it with boredom. Now, I was kind of the same way. You know, I got doing uh, YouTube and got into doing YouTube full time, just kind of having fun as a filmmaker. And I thought that would be really fun to go up camping and do like, instead of just camping, go up and do a filmmaking aspect of it and look for Sasquatch 2 and Bigfoot and different things like that. And I actually had an encounter myself that was similar to that and I've had different paranormal type experiences. And that usually kicks people off into this obsession trying to make sense of it. But you say you got uh, basically interested in the phenomenon and interested in the topic and how it impacts these small towns and these locations. And that's kind of the funny thing is that you, you consider a local community and they have some sort of a paranormal encounter or like a Bigfoot sighting. And everybody uh, normally considers oh, there's just like one person over there that had that experience. But have you found, Seth, as you go into these communities, maybe this is a question for later on in the interview, but that it's actually impacted the community as a whole or has left its mark in a, in a bigger way than just an individual? Or have you noticed an entire town sort of get swept up by the phenomenon? Or, Well, I mean, yeah, there's a these stories, these rural monster cases tend to follow a pattern where it's like, there's, there's a single isolated sighting. That sighting makes some sort of media, whether it be regional or national, whatever. Um, and then that starts 
this flurry of activity that you know manifests in some way either either posses come out to try to hunt the monster down or other people come forward with reports or both but they all kind of follow that structure um but for sure i think i think the thing we see the most is that um a, a case like that will seemingly make it okay for other people to come forward with their own sightings so like i don't know if it's just because i'm talking about Minerva with some people behind the scenes currently, but like we, we've been looking at Minerva again lately. Mm. And I, I think that's sort of the prototypical small town monster case in a lot of ways. Um, because you had this one family that, that lived outside of the town of Minerva. They had encounters with a creature on the hill behind their, their home. Um, the creature eventually killed their dog uh, hmm. They report it to local police. The police come out. The story makes the regional news, the local news. And then all of a sudden, other people are coming forward with their own sightings. And and it becomes a, a situation where, you know, people people can kind of glean from it that these sightings didn't start or end with, with the Caton family sighting. They were going on long before it. And they uh, are still going on today. In fact, I think there's probably as much activity, if not more, around the area in Minerva, Ohio today than there was even in the 70s. Um, but, you know, in the case of Minerva, uh, at the time, it became a huge story. People loved it. It was on the local news. Um, posses of drunken Bigfoot hunters started descending on the town. And, I mean, it was so ridiculous that, like, there were so many people pouring into the woods with guns that at one point they actually had to shut down the Lincoln highway because they had parked all up and down the road through there and, and traffic couldn't get through. Um, I mean, it, it, it had a huge impact on the community at the time. Local businesses were promoting monster burgers and, and their, the car wash had like a monster Minerva monster special going on and, and stuff like that. But it, you know, I mean, as with most, most things it, it, um, uh, sort of disappeared overnight you know it was it was huge for a little while and then it disappeared and when we made minerva monster in 2015 we did this it didn't play a role in the movie but we, some of the crew actually went up and down the road and just asked especially younger people if they were aware of the minerva monster and hardly anyone was um hmm. and the thing is like that's that is a piece of that town's history and so it's unfortunate that stories like that kind of get lost but that's that's typically the way this goes unless it's a something big like the mothman where it's it's so so covered uh and becomes such a pop pop cultural sort of icon like the mothman did it typically is forgotten by the town eventually i mean if not immediately then eventually it sort of um you know disappears into history uh until some some uh, maniac like myself shows up with a camera and starts documenting it right would you consider yourself like a cryptozoology researcher or more of a filmmaker or kind of pseudo in between yeah i'm just i'm just a documentarian it's kind of like my the way i i put it i don't know i mean i love these topics but um you know I, I, we we've had this discussion before like I, I find that that the paranormal is the only genre where people really want to label you as like cryptozoologist right uh, instead instead of documentarian it's like if you if you make movies yeah, what's the difference really yeah, yeah i mean if you make movies about about basketball they don't <laughs> they don't call you know like, yeah. they don't call you basketball filmmaker it's it's just All right, so bizarre. are you a baller yeah <laughs> no i run cameras about <laughs> videos about basketball yeah that makes sense yeah yeah so it's like but um i try to i i mean you you love this subject, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm I guess I'm first and foremost just a storyteller. I mean, I, I I wrote for newspapers before I I did this, and I I um, you know I've written children's short stories and and all sorts of stuff over the years. So I've always been a, a storyteller uh, first and foremost, and then documentarian second. I don't consider myself a cryptozoologist uh, at all um, because I don't know I don't know how you how you reach that label yet i haven't figured that part out maybe it's when you put the put the cameras down and you just go for the personal yeah. encounter go all stealth mode, right 
That's probably it. Mm -hmm. So do you think the, uh, I mean, you've covered this topic from so many different categories. There's so many different names from Mothman to Skinwalker to uh, Minerva Monster to Bigfoot to Boggy Creek. Do you think that the phenomenon is really all one thing or do you like a paranormal type of experience or encounter? Or do you think this is, these are separate actual biological things or something psychological going on within the people in the community based on all these interviews you've done? I mean, is it a cop out to say all of it? Because like, to me, I, mm. I think Bigfoot uh, stands apart from a lot of the, the, the paranormal topics that I've looked into. Um, to me, I don't, necessarily even consider bigfoot paranormal I, you know like to me it's a flesh and blood creature that's that's okay. probably an undiscovered animal of some sort that's roaming our woods and has been for a very long time and that's based on the the predominant number of uh accounts that that come in from around the the world uh, but especially here in america and uh you know the behavior of the creature and things like that um but the rest of it it's kind of like a, a stew. I mean, I think it's a little bit of, yeah. of, of everything and it's all, all sort of swirling around together. I do think it's all, I, I think a lot of that stuff is connected, how it's connected. I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, you know, as we look into, as we look into all these different uh, disparate subjects that we've looked into from UFOs to ghosts, to Mothman, uh, you know, Rougarou, which is what we're looking at right now, mm. um, what I'm editing right now. Um, there's there's a lot of similarities uh, between those subjects. Um, it's weird. One of the ones that I see them, I, 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 I'm always drawing parallels to seems to be the Bell Witch because yeah. <laughs> it seems like every time I make a movie now, um, I see parallels between the bell witch and some other case that we've looked into and he, at Rougarou mm -hmm. Rougarou is a really good example of that because um, you know, there's a lot of parallels between the Rougarou legends and, and the bell witch legend actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely, I think it's all part of the same game. I don't know what that game is or what, you know, like I, as, as we go along, I'm sure I'll formulate some sort of theory over time as to what all of it means, but I'm, yeah, I think I do think a lot of that stuff's connected, um, and I do think there's a psychological component to it as well. But it might not—I don't think that that necessarily explains anything away either. Yeah, I think uh, it, it seems like when you cover the spectrum of this phenomenon and the encounters, there is some physical aspect to it. Like you have the dimensions of the of the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch, but then you have this other thing, like the the Mothman. Uh, these types of flying entities and the paranormal. Uh, and then this other category, like the bell witch or the type of ghostly sort of encounters, but there is that gray area where it does sort of thread together. So from your work, from the Minerva monster all the way up to the bell, Witch, what would you say is kind of a common thread that you've discovered? Is it more paranormal or is it weird? Like I, like you hear these Bigfoot encounters where they hear babies crying out in the forest, you know, mm -hmm. or different weird sort of almost like, uh, and Skinwalker Ranch, people talk about being, having almost like a Sasquatch encounter there in the trees, but then they go home and almost feel like there's a poltergeist that followed them home too. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there is a thread that connects all these stories that you've encountered? I don't know that I've picked one particular thread out yet. Um, the the there there is a reoccurring theme of mystery lights that pops up uh the lights uh, yeah 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 mysterious lights in the woods or on the ground that that seems to run between a lot of these especially um mothman rougarou bell witch they've all got orbs connected to them um so there, there's there's little things there's little story details like that um you know, there's a lot of weirdness connected with these cases that that comes up. Um, I hate the word synchronicities because it's so overused, but there's a lot of weird synchronicities that do pop up. And, and until the past year, I'd never experienced that for myself. But I think in the last year, we've actually started to experience some of that ourselves as well. Um, 
You mean you know, as, so that, film, as like as a film production crew, you started to notice weird synchronistic yeah. things? Yeah, yeah, especially like while we were, um, we just got back from shooting a, a Lake Michigan Mothman, Chicago Mothman thing, and there was a lot of weird stuff happening during the making of that movie um, that kind of culminated with filming something large flying through downtown Chicago. Um, so we, so we're excited about that. But um, yeah, there's, there's, I would say that's, that's it. I don't have like specifics. Um, and I wish, I wish that the, uh, the paranormal manifested itself more uh, openly <laughs> because a lot of the time you're trying to draw, to draw lines between things that might not actually be connected. But, um, but I don't think you could do what we do as much as we do and not start to see some of these things, you know, for yourself. Um you know, it's interesting because we we've we've been covering uh, hauntings for the last year. We've made five episodes of our haunting show, and I mean, that's the only subject I've covered so far where we actually have yet to experience much of anything. So, really, the, the, haunt, the haunting yeah. one with like ghosts and paranormal is the one you'd think would follow you home or be more, you know, because you're not up in the mountains somewhere encountering right. it. You could come into your bedroom or whatever, but you haven't had yeah. anything experienced with that at all. But mostly with the other films, huh? There's, I mean, there's been little things happen during those shoots. Um, we heard some, some cool kind of like whistling when we were in the uh, Mansfield reformatory, but um, yeah, so far we have yet to get haunted. I'm, I'm waiting to get haunted, but it, it hasn't <laughs> happened. So we're trying. Do you guys actively do anything? I know that, well, this is another thing I wanted to talk about as a filmmaker, your approach to filmmaking. I, I really mm -hmm. respect and like how you approach the topic because you're dealing with real people who from their life and their experience, this is a legitimate thing that turned their life upside down and sometimes the entire community. And the typical response to that is to have the hokey news reporters come in and people descend on the town like you said, run around like either a militia or, a, you know, a intense cryptozoologist or investigator running around with their own agendas. But I, I like how uh, you and the, the crew at uh, Small Town Monsters go in and you approach it with the respect that the topic deserves and the respect on the community and the people, uh, the seriousness, but also keeping that excitement and the fun and the intensity of how oh, yeah. these encounters can be so. I would say like, um, yeah, if we're, so if we're talking about hauntings, that is yeah. a very diff different style of STM series because it's created for our YouTube channel members and, and the whole, our, our YouTube channel members basically get a, a, a pretty much like very inside baseball <laughs> behind the scenes access to, to the making of our movies. And, um, that is an entire series created for them that kind of melds that like behind the scenes access with a, a more traditional STM storytelling approach. So you get the history of these places. Um, you get the ghostly history of these places. And then you get like 20 minutes of us being idiots um, ramp, rampaging through these locations. Um, you know, and, and we've, you know, I've definitely talked to people who've been like, I can't believe you guys don't take this stuff more seriously. And art, our, the the truth is like if you're on an STM shoot, hauntings is a lot like what it's like to make a movie with us. Um, mm. We the way I put it is we approach the the topic, uh, or we approach the subject, we approach the location, we approach the the witnesses, anyone we interview with a great deal of respect, obviously because they've given us their time, they've allowed us into these places. But when it comes to actually doing our own thing. We're always going to be, to be ourselves. And the, like, the truth is we're, we're a bunch of knuckleheads. So like, you're going to, you're going to encounter a lot of like wiener jokes and, and just all sorts of <laughs> nonsense happening. Um, and that's like, so when, so the truth is like when we do hauntings, no, we don't, we don't go in with a bunch of equipment. We don't have spirit boxes. We don't have Ouija boards. I'm sure Aaron would love to, some of the crew would love to, um, but our approach to that series so far, obviously we've only done five episodes, so it's subject to change, but our approach to that series has been basically the same as the way we approach UFOs or Bigfoot, which is we're, we're there. If something happens, it's going to happen. And, right. and 
and we're fairly skeptical of these subjects. So for us to for for us to be swayed into the believer camp, something's going to have to happen. And and it almost needs to be us getting knocked over the head with something, you know, for it for it to convince us. And um, you know, one of my issues with ghost hunting and and hauntings and things like that is you're supposed to um take all this equipment that seems scientifically suspect to a certain degree into a place. And then it has to, you have to have some sort of interaction with this device in order for, for you to be, to have an experience with the unexplained. And I don't, I get that from a, from an investigator standpoint. I understand that if, if you're investigating, but as someone who's just going into these places to be a witness, to have something happen, it's just going to have to happen for me anyway. So that's kind of what we've been doing for the first five episodes on the show is just going into these places and hopefully something happens. Um, you know, and that's the way we approach pretty much anything. Like if I go in the woods, I'm going in the woods um, looking for Bigfoot with a handy cam and that's about it. Like we're not out there, uh, you know, to, to with, with, like all the crazy equipment that I've seen Bigfooters take out. And and I love that stuff. And I think that stuff's really cool, but I kind of just want something to happen if it's there. I just want, I just want to yeah. experience something. What is the, what is the balance with that when you descend on a location? I mean, there's the historical aspect of the events of the eyewitnesses and the things that occurred on the community that you're trying to capture. But some of these like the bell, Witch, and some of them are ongoing, like people are still encountering these things. So do you mm-hmm. approach something different when it's historical, like the Bell Witch goes clear back into like the 1800s? So you're trying to cover the historical folklore perspective of the legend, but also you've got like active things occurring that you can go investigate. So I guess for somebody like me or somebody that's interested in this topic or going and doing research on their own, what do you recommend there as far as uh, how to approach it historically versus as that investigator? So you go in almost with a, a blend of both where you're ready to do some investigation, but you're lean more on the filmmaker side. It sounds. Like. I would, I would definitely say on and on the trail of project is totally different from like what we did with the Mark of the Bell Witch. The Mark of the Bell Witch was really just retelling the Bell Witch legend. Um, what was cool was during the making of that, we did have modern day stories sort of come to us. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would say the, the, um, you know, our ultimate goal is to to really have something happen to us when we're on and on the trail of shoot. So we're there. Uh, basically, we'll do any if a lot of these locations, they have these like challenges. They, they, they'll be like, go into this room and sit there for 15 minutes and you're guaranteed that something will happen to you. Um, the most recent episode of On the Trail of Hauntings, we went to a place called the Madison Seminary here in Ohio. We were told there was a... Um, a room where a little girl's body had been put and there's a hole in the floor. And if you sit in that hole, you're something's going to happen. So we put uh, Zach in that hole and we left (laughs) and went off for like 20 minutes. And when we came back, nothing had happened to him. So it's like, we, we will do any of the challenges they give us, any of the stuff they tell us, they, you know, like they put me in this little kid's room with a crib and like toys on the floor. And they said, try to get the, the spirits to play with the toys and I gave it my best shot, but they didn't want to play with us. So, um, but we're also trying to tell the history of that place and uh, capture as much of the, the, the quote unquote spirit of the location as we can. Um, so yeah, I guess there is a weird tightrope you're walking when it comes to those kind of projects. Cause you're, you're, Partly you're there to interact with something which kind of goes against the objective nature of what being a documentarian is. Um, but at the same time, those, are, those tend to be first person style narration, first person style documentary. So it's a little different. Um, the bell, Witch was tricky because you've got this, you've got, you've got a history with that story that stretches back to the early 1800s, 1816. That's when that whole thing kicked off. And, um, and and at the same time, there's modern day sightings and modern day not sightings, but modern day encounters happening, and and you know a lot of spooky stuff connected with that story. The trick there became for me deciding what our story was. So um, were we going to try to tell this sort of like comprehensive look at the entire history of the Bell Witch, you know, from 1816 up to present day, or were we going to simply retell the um, you know the the classic sort of John Bell 
story. And uh, we ended up just focusing on that 1816 to 1821 period of time. And um, mostly because I don't think we could have done justice to the entire history of that story. So we have to, you have to figure out, well, what can we focus on as a storyteller? What can I focus on to, to really be able to tell the best story here? So it became about that 1816 to 1821 period of time. But, you know, and it's funny too, because everyone insisted that you, you will not get out of Adams without some sort of experience. And we had no experiences. We were filming in the, the bell cabin. We shot most of our interviews in the bell cabin where they have like ghost hunting cameras set up pretty much all the time running like this webcam. And we were, you know, told you will, you'll definitely have something happen. Nothing happened. The only thing that happened while we were down there was one of our crew, um, got into some tall grass and got covered in seed ticks, which is pretty horrifying. Uh-huh. Uh, that's probably worse than haunting, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the seed ticks probably a lot worse than a poltergeist, yeah. right? <laughs> For yeah. sure. So, what do you think in all of these cases? You you know you haven't had a lot of hap- happen, but uh, as far as talking with the community and the witnesses, what has been the most convincing to you? Have you come into a town or started interviewing? unconnected witnesses and realized, wow, there is something that really happened here. Something that's really intriguing about this whole situation. What, what one stands out for you? The, the Flatwoods monster um, we covered in a 20, 2018 movie called the Flatwoods monster a legacy of fear. And that's not the one that you would expect because it seems to be one of the more outlandish um, cause it's like a 18 foot tall, uh, cylindrical robotic creature. Yeah. Uh, isn't that it the one that has like a, like a dome on its head and had glowing yeah, it looks, eyes and it looks like an ace of spades. Um, yeah, but yeah. It ended, it ended up being the, the Flatwoods monster because, um, what we know as the Flatwoods monster is not necessarily what those witnesses claim to have seen. Mm-hmm. And so, in speaking with the actual witnesses and learning about that case and all the intricacies of what went on that night, uh, back in 1957, 52, I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, learning about all of that directly from the witnesses, it totally changed my mind about that case. Not that I went in closed minded or anything. I just, I thought I knew the story and it turned out I didn't know the story at all. Um, you know, they claim to have seen something strange streak across the sky, crash on the hill. They go up the hill and they encounter this, you know, 13 foot tall uh, robotic. Uh, they, they actually think it might have been like a rocket or rocket ship that was sitting on top of this this hill. Not exactly the, um, you know, uh, clawed space alien uh, Frankenstein is how newspapers referred to it. That, that you know, at that time, everyone said they had encountered it just wasn't that story at all and it's a it's a very believable story and the witnesses are are even more believable when you speak to them they have nothing to gain most honestly most of the witnesses i talk to don't really have anything to gain by coming forward with their their sighting other than a whole bunch of ridicule um but in that case those witnesses especially brought me around on that story yeah it seems like uh one of these events occurs and you have when you have multiple witnesses and then it can perpetuate on the community for a while. And that Flatwoods uh, incident, see now you're covering everything from uh, landing craft and UFOs to paranormal to like Bigfoot and things like that. Mm -hmm. Which, which one of these sorts of nuances to the category of this phenomenon do you feel most intrigued by? Is it the, the landings and the encounters or the Sasquatch stuff or the UFOs, which one do you feel most intrigued by and why? When it comes to, yeah, I mean, well, when it comes to UFOs, especially, I love like this early Cold War era um, crash retrieval stuff. I'm super, super curious about all of that. Um, And some of that has to do with the fact that I've had stories come to me from people over the years that relate back to it. Um, So I, I grew up in a town called Bolivar in Ohio and, uh, it's it's maybe like 15 minutes from a town called Strasburg and Strasburg uh, was once a kind of a coal mining town. There's a lot of coal mines down in that area. And uh, to the north of Bolivar is Canton, Ohio, which is home to uh, Timken Steel. Uh, and Timken 
in the 1940s had the hottest ovens that you could find in, in the world. Um, you know, like in terms of the heat they could generate, that was top. So there, there was an event I was doing. It might've been Minerva Monster Day. And a guy came up to me to tell me uh, the story about how uh, in, in, 1940, in the 1940s, his dad was working at a coal mine down in Strasbourg. And uh, one day these, these trucks showed up with some sort of object under a tarp. They took it down into uh, one of the coal mines. They kicked everyone out of the coal mine, took it down into the coal mine, then blew up the entrance. And he was insistent that one of the men told them that it was a crashed object that had come from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. And then about a year later, later, I became friends with a writer at the Canton Repository of the newspaper. And he told me a story about how following the Roswell crash, the craft had gone to Wright-Patterson and then from Wright-Patterson had come down to Canton. And this was told to him by a man that worked at Timken at the time. And he, he was insistent that one day these military trucks show up with this craft um, they they wanted to try to melt the craft in, in the Timken ovens, hmm. like in the, in, the, in the steel ovens. And supposedly he was insistent it was the Roswell crash. But the coolest thing about that is that they both happened, both those incidents happened in the same year, this hmm. coal mine story and this Timken steel story. And they both come to me from, you know, here in Ohio from, from doing some random event, but they both revolve around that same, you know, like, early cold war era uh, time period of ufology, which is probably my favorite part of it. I mean, you pick up a, like any topic, any paranormal topic, you, you have your favorite aspects of it, you mm-hmm. know, like Bigfoot anymore. I'm just interested in behavior, you know, like what, what, what the different behavioral characteristics are of, of reports and how they seem to correlate with what's been going on over, over the uh, decades that we've been taking Bigfoot reports. But um when it comes to ufology, I just love that crash retrieval military cover-up stuff. Yeah. How, uh, so based on that, you, do you get inundated with a lot of reports because you do filmmaking? Do people send you a lot of stuff? Yeah, um, for sure. I would say weekly we get you know two or three different stories that will come to us through the website. Um, and a lot of get, times you get – Do you ever get, ever get pictures or images or video of anything at all? So, so we do now because we do a, we do a YouTube series called paranormal unexplained that they film in here at at my office. Um, It's a small town monsters production, but I'm not on it. Um, But they basically just kind of like watch paranormal videos and commentate on them. Uh, So we started getting a lot of that kind of stuff now because people have been emailing us, you know, their own videos and photos and stuff like that. But I mean, I always, a lot of that stuff, I just tend to take with a grain of salt. Um, and I have yet to really see uh, anything that that fully convinced me one way or the other. But yeah, I would say we on a weekly basis we take a ton of reports, we get a ton of stories, people contacting us, um, and a lot of it's really great. Like we we are working on um, another YouTube series called Beyond the Trail, and later this year we're going to be filming down in the Minerva area again. And I know one of the reports that we're going to cover in that came to us through through the website and the guy actually contacted us th- through our website so we're going to reach out to him and get him involved in it as well so that makes my job a lot easier anyway when the, when they contact us <laughs> when they reach out and send you all the information for sure do you ever get doing these eyewitness interviews and realize that maybe uh these guys are hoaxers have you ever encountered people just flat out lying or hoaxing it while you've been out there doing your work we haven't it's funny you say that I'm trying to I don't think we've been hoaxed that I that I can think of I can't think of a time where we had someone hoax us that isn't to say that every stories or storyteller I guess is honest but yeah. I can't think of a time where I know that someone was purposely trying to like pull the wool over over our eyes for like nefarious means um you, we've definitely conducted interviews where after the fact I was like I don't think we can include that um, because, you know, like we, that's happened a couple of times. Um, but I, I think for the most part, we're pretty good about, you know, vetting, vetting the people we talk to, um, during, during the, the process of putting the films together. Um, so yeah, so far, no. 
on the, how on do you how, how do you usually go about that process? Let's say somebody there's a lot of people like in the UFO community or in the cryptozoology community online that they have these ideas like they want to go out, take their camera and they want to do like what Seth Breedlove does. They want to go out and they want a paranormal hunt and they want to interview people. Uh, but you don't want to really step on people's sensitivities. You don't want to burn out a community with a bunch of amateur investigating and things like that, I don't think, or trounce on a topic. So you guys seem to be able to go into a town, earn their respect, and talk to eyewitnesses and get authentic, genuine stories out of people on camera. What do you recommend, like, how to actually contact these eyewitnesses or approach a community in a way in order to get to the bottom of it and to get more answers in an investigative way without offending people. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we have, so I've up until 2019, I did all the, the research work myself, but since 2019, um, Heather Mosier has been a big part of, of the research for STM. So one, one big benefit would be to actually have someone that's, that's very, very good at research because she is, um, the other, the biggest part of it, when you're when it comes to actually communicating with these people, is to don't approach them like they're a paranormal witness. Uh, just approach them like a human being, because <laughs> end of the day, that's yeah. what they are. Um, and so, you know, I, I learned that very early on. Um, <clears throat> it's just to communicate with them and talk to them. Uh, sometimes it takes a long, long time. Uh, to build up a relationship before you even get to the point where you should be asking them uh, hmm. if they want to be involved. Sometimes you might not have that luxury, but um, you know, I mean, for sure, when we made Minerva back in 2015, I had spent months getting to know the Caton family who had never talked about that story um, for a documentary before they hadn't actually been on TV since or any kind of video since like, the seventies when they were interviewed by local media. Um, we spent months kind of getting to know them and talk to them. And even then the day we showed up to make the movie, how he had changed his mind. And I had to, I had to talk him into it as we were getting ready to film. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think the biggest thing is you, you have to get to know them as, as people. And um, it, basically you're trying to put them at ease with the fact that you're just wanting them to tell their story and you're going to capture that you're not there to tell their story for them uh, or twist their story in some way or make them the butt of a joke, which, you know, especially today is, is, is very common uh, with YouTube being the way it is. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, I think it's just that, you know, you might, it, it's not, it's not exciting work uh, when it comes to that side of things. It's, it's really like, you have to you have to be able to communicate with people and talk to them, um, and you have to have an interest in doing that, or else it won't. It'll come across as insincere, and they'll probably be able to read that and turn you down pretty much immediately. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you find that around here. I know, even uh, just joking around without cameras, when I've gone around Area Fifty One or over to Rachel, Nevada. You know, you're talking about a whole town that's been taken over by the phenomenon and identifies with it. And a lot of yeah. people there, it's a mixed bag. Some people are really into it and they want to discuss it. And other people are, are very quiet. Have, uh, have you encountered anybody that, that claims that they've been told not to talk about it? Or have your crew ever been kind of intimidated or told to change your topic? Or, you know, you get the men in black theories and John Keel and his work. And as, as a researcher, he talks about being intimidated by authorities or men in black or anything. Have you guys ever run into any of that? Um, we, well, we've been to area 51 and Rachel and all that stuff as well. And um, that was intimidating, but no one actually ever showed up. So we, <laughs> we were out there, but you know, like we interviewed a, a former military uh, MP at the gates of area 51. That was pretty cool. But um you know, the closest I've come would probably be uh, Susan Sh Shepard, um, who recently passed away um, after a battle with cancer. She was she was a West Virginia author and uh, historian and just all around awesome lady. Um, she was uh, featured in our Mothman Legacy movie as well. But Susan uh, was a part of our uh, On the Trail of UFOs Dark Sky that's coming out in August. 
And um, that one takes a look at the men in black and injured cold and all that kind of stuff. And uh, she, she actually felt like she had had multiple encounters with the men in black. Um, not necessarily that they were there to intimidate her, but, but she definitely um, got the impression at one point that they were kind of following her. And, and so I've had those talks with people as especially her Um but as for us, we've never been intimidated. We've never had anyone show up um, or, or anything like that. I'm trying to think if we've even had anything where we could have interpreted something in that way. You would think when you were making like a UFO miniseries that was taking place around the country where we were traveling to like 20 different states and interviewing almost 40 people, that something like that would have happened, but it really didn't. Um, mm. So, so far we've lucked out. Um, but I'm sure at some point, you know, I would hope at some point something happens. You have an adamant in black show up on your door or uh, a poltergeist show up at night telling you to stop doing, looking into what you're looking into or any of that yet. The closest we come to being warned away from something would be Heather had some nightmares when we were um, leading up to make uh, the Mark of the Bell Witch. She actually had multiple nightmares that involved the Bell Witch. And the Bell Witch, um, I always make her tell the story, so I hesitate to tell it myself. But basically, she was having recurring nightmares that, like, the Bell Witch was showing up in various forms and uh, essentially was saying she couldn't wait to meet us all. Um, but she was very quiet when we were down at Adams. So I don't know if she got shy because we showed up or what. But um, that's the closest we've come to, like, kind of that nefarious warning that you that you hear about, you know, in John Keel's work. <laughs> Have you had any of the witnesses or anything that you've interviewed have like follow-up encounters or anything weird like that? Not that I can think of. Again, it's strange because I, I'm sure at this point that we've interviewed well over 200 people across all the, all the movies. Yeah, I mean, that's really why I ask. And like, there's so many people that go out, you know, and they'll get into one aspect of this. They'll go up and become mm-hmm. like a Bigfooter or they go out and they look for UFOs. But you kind of, even though you're not specialized into one specific category you cover the spread of the phenomenon and you go out as a filmmaker and you interview tons of people so it seems like if there was a thread to connect it or a neutral observer or somebody that could maybe say you know these witnesses seem to all be noticing this i feel like somebody like you would have a say to that like you hear all these reports like from john keel like oh there's men in black or people will come intimidate you or the government authorities will come and tell you to stop or that they they don't want Bigfoot to be found because it will create all these human rights issues for indigenous people and stuff. So like, do you, you haven't felt any of that kind of shutdown intimidation at all? No, I mean, there's no, uh, the closest it's come where, and I didn't draw this line, but someone else did. Um, Last year, Amazon inexplicably removed a bunch of, a bunch of our titles from the platform with no, no real, uh, no real explanation for why. Um, they just said all of a sudden, like Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, Boggy Creek Monster, Beast of Whitehall, On the Trail of Champ, and Minerva Monster were no longer allowed on the platform. And so we raised a, a lot of hell, got a bunch of our uh, STM mm. Uh, fans or whatever to to email them and they eventually put them on with no explanation of why they were taken off in the first place. Now, since then uh, they have banned all nonfiction films from, from independent films from going up on Amazon prime. Um, So you'll still find STM movies on Amazon and our older movies are still free on prime. Newer titles are no longer allowed going up free to prime if they are in the nonfiction genre, which is really weird. Um, hmm. And there's, there really hasn't been an attempt to clarify why that is. Um, but I would assume it has something to do with like conspiracies and stuff like that. And they're, you know, like they, they, there's certain narratives they don't want being pushed out, I guess. Yeah. How does that where What category does this fall into this paranormal? Because it's not, it's not fiction. It's not like you're mm-hmm. making it up, but it falls into that weird uh, gray area where uh, it yeah. is unknown. It's totally unknown. And so how do you classify it? Have you run into any conspiracies like that? Let's say you get out doing a Bigfoot documentary or a UFO documentary. Do you run into any weird, like uh, uh, a cult's, 
type stuff or weird sort of yeah the the community uh, the community around it like the it seems the, like the bell bell witch would have stuff revolving around that all over the occult stuff keeps cropping up for sure i would say really? um yeah the the mothman for sure we kept we kept running into it um you know there's a lot of theories down in point pleasant about what the mothman is one of one of the ones that seems to be uh, you know, getting pushed out further is the idea that the Mothman is like a some sort of demon that was conjured during a uh, occult ritual taking place in the in the TNT area in the uh, near Point Pleasant, and that comes about because there have been all sorts of like uh, rituals and and uh, uh, sacrifices, things like that, that have taken place in the TNT area. There's a story about. Uh, someone finding a dead cat skinned alive, sort of hung on a cross in one of the TNT uh, igloos. There's, um, yeah, there's multiple stories about that. The the, the Bray Road Beast was another one. Um, while we were making the Beast of Bray Road movie, um, we spoke with the animal control warden down in in near Elkhorn, and he had um, been investigating uh, all sorts of mutil- animal mutilations that were taking place around the same time that the, the really big rash of, of Bray Road B sightings kicked off. Um, and obviously when you start dealing with the Rougarou down in Louisiana, there's a lot of um, what we would consider like occult um, activity uh, surrounding the swamps and, and that area and the same areas where, where the Rougarou seen. So, um, you know, and then I guess even if you want to get real weird, I mean, you could even draw a line between that and uh, like UFOs because a lot of the areas like even in West Virginia where we were a lot of the areas where UFOs are seen uh correlate to some degree with occult activity um even even that TNT area i mean you know one of the biggest UFO waves in West Virginia history took place in conjunction with the Mothman sightings um now what I would posit is that UFO sightings n- have never stopped or waned or, or waxed and waned at any point in West Virginia history. They've always just been continuous. I, I think UFOs are more continuous in West Virginia than any other place. Mm. Um, but there, there's a lot of, of uh, sightings that did take place that, that seem to correlate with areas where there's a called activity going on. Uh, and that you know, Point Pleasant area certainly has has a lot of that kind of like weird history to it. It's like an anomalous hotspot. It seems like there's always uh, an overlap of that you've, where you've got UFOs. If you talk to the right people, there's also weird stuff going around on the ground in the mm-hmm. in the shadows. And when you look at the history and the folklore of the area, there's it seems like there's always some sort of a weird uh, curses or Native American legends or rituals or some sort of occult past to it. So I just wondered if there was a connection there. And it seems like whether it is from Mothman or UFOs or these supernatural type things, you, would you feel like there there is something going on there when it comes to the occult sort of tying them all together or that inter- interaction with that? Or I, I would I would say I'm leaning in that direction. Um, you know, I, I I think over the next couple of years, as we get further into the UFO subject, I'll have more concrete answers. Um, but it, I don't know why it is, but UFOs seem to be where I am uh, finding weird patterns. And you'll get your first taste of that in Dark Sky when it comes out in August. We, we found some really weird uh sighting patterns that, that are taking place with the ufos especially in west virginia but um mm. since i made that movie i've started extrapolating that out on a larger scale and the patterns are continuing across the country so um really yeah and i don't want to get too deep into it because it's kind of a cool like reveal in the movie but uh have me back on in august and we'll talk about it but, <laughs> definitely but I th- yeah but i think like there's there's um there's some weird stuff that I think we're going to find as we go further into that particular subject, that's going to connect it to uh, some of these other uh, stories that we've investigated. And I know we're, the next one we're making, the next UFO project we're making is called night visitors. And it, it takes a look at the, uh, the darker side of ufology, like cattle mutilations and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and I, I think we'll start to, 
be led in a certain direction at that, you know, if, if we continue, if we continue doing what we're, we did with Dark Sky, I think we'll probably start to, to formulate at least some sort of idea about what's going on. Yeah, that's really awesome. I think people like the kind of the pop culture idea of the UFOs and the aliens and, and Bigfoot running around kind of the Disney version. But the the creepy occult cattle mutilating version of it all is something people are a little bit averted to, I think. And but you're saying you're finding like uh, similarities and connections like a thread tying some of all of this together. Um, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes left here, Seth, but I, I really wanted to give you a minute kind of highlight a little bit of your work first of all out of all the projects that you've done you say you're 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 kind of leaning into the ufo stuff what do you have uh that you've already produced right now that you would say is like your your baby the one that if you could say please go watch this i absolutely love this project if you haven't seen any of my work yet what should people go watch uh that you guys have done i think any of the on the trail of Bigfoot, we just put one out called on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. Um, but, but on the trail of Bigfoot, the legend and on the trail of Bigfoot, the search, that's a very, like that whole project is really personal to me. Hmm. Um, but especially the journey. Um, I think our best movies are the Mothman and Point Pleasant and Bray Road Beast. So you can't, if you start somewhere in there, you can't really go wrong. Um, but I would, I would go with any of those titles. I mean, on the trail of Bigfoot, will hopefully continue regardless of how it does monetarily because I really am fascinated by that subject and I'll, I'll probably just keep covering it for my own amusement. Um, but I would, I would suggest any of those. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I love how you guys have mixed up your style and you guys are not afraid to kind of change it up from counter, uh, trying to encapsulate the story of the history and the folklore and the legends of an area to actually showing what it's like to be a researcher and what it's like to even be a filmmaker there in these kind of impossible situations and environments up in the middle of nowhere where people rarely even encounter these things at all. And so you're not even guaranteed to find anything or to encounter anything. So you have that whole dynamic as Really fascinating. Seth, I think you've done an awesome job with that over the course of your career and with your team. What projects do you have coming up in the near future that everybody should look forward to here? Yeah, um, well, we still have four titles coming out this year. Uh, it's a busy year. So we just put out On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey. Before that, The Mark of the Bell, which came out in May wide. Um, in August, August 3rd, On the Trail of UFOs, Dark Sky. Um, September 15th or something some, some, somewhere in there uh the howl of the rougarou comes out after that november mid-november on the trail of bigfoot the discovery and then in december on the trail of the lake michigan mothman comes out so um and then we have youtube content coming out pretty much weekly we have paranormal and explain comes out every week uh and then beyond the trail which is kind of like a, a sister project to on the trail uh, on the trail of Bigfoot, um, that's a filmmaker friend of mine named Alexander Petikov, who actually joins us a lot of the time for for uh, like he was in on the trail of Bigfoot the journey. Um, Alex is doing his own series where he kind of goes around the country and, and goes out in the woods and looks looks for Bigfoot. Um, the first episode of that is out. Uh, it's about New Hampshire. The next episode comes out July eighth, and that one's about. Maine, Northern Maine. And then he's got like three more, actually more than that. He's got four or five more episodes filming. Um, he also has a tie in episode that'll be out in November that ties into our, uh, on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery, cause he was with us for that shoot. So there's a, there's a lot. Um, our, our, uh, on the trail of hauntings comes out each month for our YouTube channel members. And, uh, and then we have all the other YouTube channel member stuff. So it's pretty much nonstop. It is nonstop. I mean, I only do basically two YouTube channels and it's a full-time gig just trying to do that full-time. You've got most people only doing documentaries, maybe get one or two a year and you're cranking out sometimes two or three. Plus the On the Trail series is where you're getting in front of the camera a lot as well and mm -hmm. uh, a whole YouTube channel. So uh, congratulations to you, Seth, and everything that you guys have done, your exciting work. Uh, what What was one project, one final question here for you. If you could just basically 
erase the board and say, I'm going to take everything that I know now and go do this one dream fantasy movie that I want to make? What would that be for Seth? Uh, I have like, I have like, uh, I have three or four of those actually. I want to, I, so my favorite book is Benicula, which is a book about a vampire rabbit that sucks the juice out of vegetables. Um, I don't know if you read it as a child, but it's amazing. Uh, I've always wanted to make a stop motion version of that movie. So that's my dream movie. But, um, beyond that, I mean, if we're talking paranormal, I, I really want to make a, a sleepy hollow, uh, something about sleepy hollow, the legend of sleepy hollow. Um, it's on our radar and it's something that's on our list. It's just the budget we would need to pull off. What I'm thinking of doing would have to be pretty, it would be larger than what a normal small town monsters budget is. So I'm not sure yet when we will do that or how we'll do that, but uh, that's, that's one I really want to make. Um, so that's, that's probably the dream small town monsters. Movie. What is it about the sleepy hollow story? That's got you hooked. That has you fascinated. I just love dudes on horseback with no head. Um, I just think I just think that whole that whole look. I I'm a big fan. Um, but yeah, I I mean honestly, I think it's that there there are true aspects to that story, um, and there's a blurring of myth and reality that I think is really fascinating when it comes to all of Irving's work, but especially that one. Um, and I, I would really love to get into the intricacies of like what what was real and what was legend, you know, as it relates to um, Sleepy Hollow, especially like the Hessian soldier and where he's buried. And if that was a real legend around before Irving, just all that kind of stuff I'm really fascinated by. And we had a really weird incident happen in the cemetery there in Sleepy Hollow. Um, really? Maybe, yeah, maybe like... Um, my son, who's four now, he was only like two at the time. Actually, I don't even know if he was full. Did you see that ghost walk through just now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even think he was two. I think he was like a year and a half old. And uh, we were in the cemetery there. And I had been trying to find Katrina Van Tassel's grave. And I could not find it. And my son, who was just around two, was was took off running up through the cemetery like a shot and I I'm chasing after him. Like, where are you going? And he stops at a grave and he goes, what's she doing? And I walk up behind him and look, and it's Katrina Van Tassel's grave. And um, he found it just on his own intuition running around. And then he said, you know, what's she doing, which creeped me out. Um, But that was, yeah. So ever since then, I've been kind of like fascinated by that. Um, I always, I always, I've always loved the story and everything, but that kind of like, I've got a whole like shelf in here with um, Sleepy Hollow stuff. And then yesterday, my friend Shannon sent me a, a print and all this stuff. So I'm a fan. You've been a fan of that whole uh, genre then. That's cool. Seth, we were coming up right here on an hour. I love all your work. I love your team's work, everything that you guys are doing. I think the way that you guys approach the uh, genre and the topic is really cool. I'm excited. You say you have a UFO project coming out. What's that? That's coming up that everybody can look forward to in, in uh, August, you said? August 3rd is the uh, release date. The first trailer should be dropping in about a week and a half, actually. We haven't even dropped a trailer for it. But, um, yeah, it, it starts uh, – it starts outside the Milky Way and it ends in the Earth. So I'm I'm excited to see how people really? respond to this one. Yeah, in the Earth, like is this inside a... inside the Earth? Okay, I don't think it's you a... can avoid that really when you get into the topic of UFOs. Isn't that yeah. how it gets weird now? More and more under the ocean and in the Earth. That's very yeah. fascinating stuff. Seth, yeah. I've enjoyed our interview today. Uh, hopefully, I can have you back on again maybe after your new. Uh, work drops and we can talk about UFOs. I've got a bunch of friends in the whole UFO community, I'm sure, that would love to jump on here and cool. talk to you about uh, what you found there. And uh, Seth, I appreciate you coming on. If you guys want to check him out, his links are going to be down in the description below. Make sure and check out Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters on YouTube uh, on all over the internet, wherever you can stream your entertainment. Make sure and uh, check it out and we'll see you guys in the next one. All right.